Hello, good people of Earth, or just Jukebox graduate listeners. Um, this is Eugene, and this is a little bit of a disclaimer for this episode. You will hear us discuss the fire of the warehouse that happened on the Universal lot, and we recorded this episode a couple of days before the announcement of a lawsuit in which the uh, some artists or some estates of some artists have made claims against the uh, amount of money that was recovered by Universal due to this fire. It gets very technical. You can look it up on your own, but at the time that Dave and I discussed it, we didn't know that, that the uh, lawsuit had been filed. So just want to give you a little information on that. Please enjoy this episode. Hello, this is Jeff Plankenhorn. And when I'm not staring off into space, I'm listening to The Jukebox Graduate. Thank you, Jeff. We'll be hearing a little bit from him later in yes, the show. Yes. I'm Eugene Edwards. And I'm Dave Rayburn. And this is the Jukebox Graduate. Dave? Yes. How have you been? I've been tremendous. Welcome to uh, our Humble Hill Studios here in Los Angeles. First day of summer, and it's a rainy one. Yeah. And notice I'm wearing shorts and flip-flops. <laughs> Do you know why? Um, it makes me feel Hawaiian. Really? Yeah, when it's raining, but you're just in shorts and flip-flops anyway. It makes me feel Hawaiian. Do you have a pig in the ground out there? As I'm well? going to use the same word for hello and goodbye the entire day. <laughs> because you can. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> yeah, thank you uh, for, uh, for, for making the trip out here. Uh, of course. You've been making trips. I'm usually, we usually cover my recent You're travel, usually but we're going to, we're going to flip the table here. Yeah. Um, where have you been? Well, uh, at the beginning of this month, June, we're recording this in, uh, mid, late June right now, first day of summer. And, uh, but a few weeks back, um, a buddy of mine that lives out in, in Michigan invited me out, um, cause we haven't seen each other, uh, out in his hometown out there for about seven years. I went out, uh, 2012 and we did like the Ford Museum. We did uh, the Motown yep. tour. I went to, uh, to all kinds of places out there, but I didn't get everything checked off that I wanted to do musically. So <laughs> I thought this time when I come out, let's let's do a bunch of music related stuff. So the first thing on the list was, hey, uh, Seeger is doing a residency out oh here God. at the tail end of his farewell tour. Who I, I know this quote, but I don't know who said it. Maybe you do. I, someone... I almost want to say it was Glenn Fry that may have said it because he's also, he was a Michigander that Seeger could run Great for word. <laughs> on any given day. Seeger could run for governor of Michigan and win hands mm-hmm. down. Right. Like he's, that's what he is to that area. So, so for him, obviously Bob's not going to perform live anymore. This is his farewell. Yeah. Or at least not tour. So, I mean, there may be, okay. I'd imagine he could do a one-off or something. Not going to tour anymore. And that is different. Okay. So he's doing a residency and what's the venue? It's the DTE energy music theater, which, uh, when we got there, I guess it used to be called, uh, pine, pine knob. Oh, that sounds familiar. And, uh, and he's played there a bunch of times. And in fact, uh, the week of this show, they dedicated the street of the venue (laughs) Uh, Bob's, uh, it's like Bob Seger Drive or something. Uh-huh. 33 Bob Seger Drive. 33 because that's how many times he's played there oh, okay. uh, in the past. And uh, the venue's great. It's um, pretty sizable. It reminds me of Shoreline Amphitheater. Oh, Pretty spacious and the lawn up top is huge. Yeah. And it was 
packed and all these shows are sold out. That's great. So we managed to get our tickets uh, on the aftermarket. He sounds great, doesn't he? Oh, he, I've been listening to clips of those, his voice. I mean, he just yes. sounds great. And he's 74. What are you saying? I'm just saying, like, <laughs> not everybody can maintain the golden aspect of their voice at that age. <laughs> no, it's not, especially not his voice. And he smoked a long time. Yeah. I, I remember the late, late 80s watching him on uh, the old Costas, the Bob Costas mm-hmm. interview show, the one on one thing. And it's like in 89 or 90, I'm guessing. And Seeger, he's speaking, and you can hear him breathing. There's a wheeze. Yeah. It's just, a, you know, and I just, which it's not shocking. It's like, well, that's like, think that's how that guy would breathe just caging from <laughs> what he sounds like on records but i remember thinking to myself oh my god that's just that sounds horrific and i just had you told me at that time that some like 30 years later he'd still be singing these tunes mostly in the original key i mean just like that's really impressive there's only one song i think i noticed that he changed the key on i mm-hmm. think it might have been night moves but everything else felt i mean I was singing along and it felt like I was singing along with the radio version. Yeah, that's usually how we would notice. Or, or, or you've gotten older and you didn't notice your voice had dropped. Yeah, because my hearing's shot. <laughs> <Is it? laughs> Wait, I still think we, we underestimate Night Moves. I don't, I don't think we talk about... I don't, I, <laughs> of I, all I, the great rock songs, that thing gets it so right. Mm-hmm. It's so fair. I mean, there's just both sides are so well represented. I think I mentioned this in an earlier episode of... Uh, a couple of years ago, I was like, I don't think we give Seeger enough credit, but continue. I would love to. I mean, that song is, uh, it was a highlight to hear that. Of course I knew I was going to hear it, but like, that's a song that in my mind, as with so many others, I've assigned people mm-hmm. in my life at certain times in my life Such an to that song. Writer. And every time I hear it, I, I have the music video in my head. It's playing out from my eyes, you know, with, mm-hmm. with who was involved in the, that story. But, um, but man, the, the, so the set was great. He played a, a, a long set. But it was all hits. It was like when I saw Fogarty yeah, there's like those acts. 10 or 12 years ago, that, or more than that, actually. Where it's like, I couldn't believe hit after hit after hit after hit. But it's like, Seeger's got that many. The one that really stood out for me. Turn the page. that opening you know you hear that and you're in the spotlight on uh oh yeah they on, do the gag they do the silhouette on them I oh think. yeah yeah that's oh, like yeah. Yeah. oh it's so good but uh yeah all this the, it was just a great set list full of hits everybody's having a great time it's a hometown show we were loving and it sold out mm-hmm. so everyone was on the same winning team it was so great and uh and bob himself just working the stage left and right and a lot of energy and yeah I'm, but yeah that was just a, an, a great um early highlight of my detroit trip um i made sure to uh kind of search around town and look for certain landmarks. So we, uh, we hit the road and on the first morning I was there, we went to the uh, Eastern market, which is a place where um, it's kind of like just a sort of like a farmer's market kind of thing. Lots of uh, fruits and veggies and flowers and plants and all that sort of thing. And it's just this huge, huge area. But the reason we went there is I'm not sure if you're you're familiar at all with uh, Robert Bradley's Blackwater surprise. Sure. Okay. Robert Bradley is from that area. And for those who don't know the backstory, Mm -hmm. um, he was a, a, a just a local guy singing, you know, busking, um, a blind guy that uh, just had this great soulful voice. Older guy, yeah. right? Uh, yeah, almost like a Ted Hawkins type, I guess. Then you have to explain who Ted Hawkins is. Okay, well, it, 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 you never seen him at the same <laughs> party like together. A great, a, like a, a rough, uh, g- a kind of growly, raspy soul singer. Yeah, let's just say. Yeah. yeah. 
So he was uh, playing locally, busking, and uh, this young rock band uh, came across him, discovered him, and thought, hey, this would be interesting to throw in the blender. And so they got him to join the band, this rock blues band, and they put out several albums, and, uh, and, and they were wonderful. Those albums are great, and I got to see them live once. And, uh, but then the, the band split, and uh, Robert sort of uh, you know, faded into obscurity. But I read some recent articles that he would still show up at the Eastern Market and set up a, a chair and, uh, and, and a guitar case and go out there and, and play songs. So we went looking for him. Yeah. That place is so vast that we just we found a whole bunch of musicians playing, but we didn't find him. <laughs> he wasn't necessarily scheduled to play, but I was hoping we'd like come across him, and sure. that would be like just a really really cool moment. Uh, following that, we drove by several places like uh, Eight Mile, of course, you know, Eminem mm-hmm. related, and that's that's kind of a rough area. But uh, the Masonic Temple is another venue that's pretty popular in the area. I drove by that. The architecture out there is just great. Lots of brick. Brick was huge. They can, by the way. No, no, no. by the way, I, I noticed this recently. I don't know where I was. Oh, uh, St. Charles, Illinois. Uh, just a little bit outside of Chicago. Beautiful little town. Um, and uh, a, a couple came up uh, to me on the sidewalk. They had tickets for the show that night. And the, the husband recognized me. And we, so we walked for a while. And I said, forgive me if I'm not looking directly at you. When I'm speaking. I'm looking at these buildings because... I'm from Los Angeles and we're really not allowed to have bricks because of uh, the earthquakes. Yeah, we don't yeah, really yeah. see that. Be- and, and so for those of you out in the Midwest or new England, you don't know what the, like, what's the big deal. It's a three story building with right. bricks. You may, that may as well be a T-Rex <laughs> to me because I just don't get to see it that often. And, and I still think, I just think they're absolutely beautiful. Yeah. But yeah, some of the places out there are just stunning. And uh, you know, there's one thing that was on my list and uh, I didn't print the list before I left. <laughs> so I forgot to uh, go drive by uh, Kobo, uh, Kobo, Kobo Hall, which is, of course, you know, Seeger recorded uh, most of Nine Tonight mm-hmm. there. And then um, Live Bullet was recorded there, I think, in its entirety. And as I mentioned in another podcast, I believe the the live pictures of the audience from the first Kiss uh, yeah, live album right. was taken at Cobalt Hall. That's right. And, you know, big names have played there in the past. I thought, oh, yeah, I, I want to just drive by that or, you know, get mm-hmm. a shot. But we totally forgot. But um, we did find uh, the Grand Ballroom. Oh. And uh, we, I didn't no, get out. That, is that still, it's, is, does this still exist it, as the Grand Ballroom? Yeah, well, uh, the building is still there. It's not open for any business at all. Oh. Except it, whatever business takes place on that corner. Oh, dear. You know what okay, I'm so it's not looking good. But it's, uh, it actually... It looks better now on the outside than I had recently seen online because there's a great mural of uh, of uh, the MC5 on you know. Oh, there is. So, oh, cool. Yeah. And so somebody did that, and that's really nice. But I watched. There's a video, and we'll post it on the uh, the Facebook page at some point after this episode comes uh-huh. out. There's a great video that I found just before I left on the trip, where this guy goes in with a hard hat on. He's touring inside the grand ballroom and showing off. Well, here's the stage here's the door to the st- or what's left of the doorway to the stage here's where this would have been mm-hmm. everything is so dilapidated in there so so for for i'm assuming there's a lot if you listen to this podcast you're probably aware but if you're not the grand ballroom was this place it was at well it was a lot of the the quote-unquote rock venues of the 60s uh particularly late 60s uh were they used to be ballrooms where big bands used to play and the reason that these now became rock venues because just they had the space. They just had the square footage and it was uh, not in vogue to have seated things because people are for people are expected to get up and dance at rock shows still in the sixties. So, Oh yeah, I'm looking at pictures of it now. Oh yeah. Yeah. I didn't, yeah, I'd, 
I haven't seen it with that painting. Oh, very cool. And that God, I love the <laughs> MC five so much. So, um, so yeah, so you would, so in Boston, there was the Boston tea party and obviously the Fillmore West and the Fillmore East, these Rosalind ballroom in, uh, in Portland. Uh, so to do, and so there's a lot of bootlegs of late sixties bands playing, at these various ballrooms, and uh, and of course this one here in in, uh, in Detroit uh, was was a very significant venue for MC5, the Stooges, that whole oh, movement. Yeah. Um, so I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just want to oh no, that's like it's yeah those those are some of the, the big names ballroom. that played there, and that was kind of like a home a home field for them. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I think Zeppelin played there. That Grateful Dead played there. I mean, just like some of the biggest names, Cream played there. Oh, for sure. You know, and uh, anyway, so this this video tour I saw online of how it looks in recent years it's mm-hmm. so bad it's like how how is that not falling in on itself <laughs> so when we drove drove out looking for it i was surprised to see that mural on the outside because that wasn't uh, presented in that video so i think there's some time that's gone by i see but uh just being right by it was cool and get, getting some of those photos we'll put those online too uh one other uh, place that was uh pretty cool was uh, seeing the hotel yorba if you're familiar with the White Stripes, they had a song called Hotel oh, Yorba. Okay, that, I was like, why does that sound familiar? On one of their records. And in fact, they, uh, they, uh, they put out a single that they recorded in one of the rooms inside. Oh. It's not a hotel anymore. I think it's like a, some sort of uh, low-income housing type thing now, I believe. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it's a form of a hotel. Yeah. And then there's a shot of it with, uh, with Jack and Meg outside of it on the cover of this single. I see. And uh, so it's, it's kind of like an iconic thing if you're a White Stripes mm-hmm. fan of any kind. So then immediately after, we went to uh, Third Man Records in the Cass Corridor area mm-hmm. of Detroit. And uh, that's one of two locations that Jack White has for Third Man Records, the other being in Nashville. And I've not been to either of them. So this is like a real treat for me to go there because it's like a record store, but also so much more. Yeah, it's uh, the one in Nashville at least is, is extremely um, interactive. Have, have you been? Uh, yeah. Okay. A couple of times. And uh, uh, of course, it's very, very well thought out because Jack White. Right. There are no accidents. Um, <laughs> That's right. It, but it's very thoughtfully done, I thought. And um you know, and there, they have a series of 45s that you buy that are all recorded there at that Nashville studio. Mm-hmm. They have recording facilities there at the Detroit facility yep. as well, right? Yep. yep. So, yeah, there's the, the Detroit location has a, a stage, a performance stage. Uh, Jack White, among others, have played in there in that little shop on that stage. Uh, adjacent to that uh, in the back is a, uh, a pressing plant. It's the third man pressing plant. Right. And that's where pretty much most of the third man stuff is pressed. They press a lot of the reissue 45s as well. They've done a lot of, uh, they've secured the rights to reissue a bunch of Sun singles, a bunch of uh, uh, Motown, well, the Tamla uh, Motown singles. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Picked up the Hotel Yorba 45 just because, you know, 20 minutes earlier I was at Hotel Yorba and I thought, oh, I'll just get this. Feels good. You've got a story. But yeah. we did the tour of the uh, the pressing plant, which is great. They wouldn't uh-huh. let you take pictures in there or anything, uh, but they had a board up um, just before you go in that shows everything that they're currently working on. They have eight uh, pressing machines yeah. and they show you what project is on each one. And Very a couple cool. of them were handling the current uh, Rock and Tours record, which just came out today. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's really cool that I was, you know, seeing that stuff being pressed up in person. And then they have things like, you know, they have those little wax mold machines that, uh, you know, you could get at places like SeaWorld and whatever else in the past. They have one that like makes the third man mobile record store truck that he would sometimes send out on tour to to show up outside of uh, shows. Um, 
and uh, they've got a jukebox. They got a photo booth. They got all kinds of fun stuff, you know, clothes and whatnot. But the one thing that I really, really wanted to do when I went in there is record in the in the recording booth he's got. He's got a vintage nineteen forty seven voiceograph booth, which, uh, from what I can read, there's only two of those particular models in existence that are currently operational. Yeah. Both are his right. at each location. So uh, for twenty bucks, you can go in and you get like two minutes twenty seconds. And you have to perform loudly. Twenty bucks. It's that's the best deal in the world. <laughs> oh my god! You, I mean, to buy memories for twenty now, bucks. Okay, so so how how long? Like, how much time do you have to perform? You can go in the boot. Well, I mean, there was no line, so I, I they have a guitar on a little stand right outside. Oh, okay, so cool. I, hardly any rehearsal went into this, mm-hmm. um, and I just thought maybe I'll do it, maybe I won't. But when I got there, I thought, I, I have to do it. I'm here. Why not? So I just picked out the shortest song that I have in my catalog, which turned out to be about two minutes. When you go in, you know, you put the token in, push the little slide in, and then you hear the machine revving up. Yeah. And it takes maybe a good 40, 45 seconds before you get the light that's that tells long, you. By the way, that's a long amount of time. It's a lot of pressure. Well, it's like the countdown to a launch. <laughs> You're like, God, I hope this goes well. <laughs> yeah, depending on what we're counting down towards, I right. suppose. Pardon the preposition. Yeah. 45 seconds ago. I was thinking about um, when I had the K-Earth gig, just as a, yeah. as a tangent. You know, when I first started that, I, you know, I hadn't, this is live radio. It's big time, right? And so our producer, Sam, she would say, okay, well, we got a minute coming out of commercial. And I, oh, geez, so I get my guitar. I get out in my seat, get the headphones on. Take a sip of water, make sure my voice is clear. And way I'm looking at the clock ticking down, you know, now it's, you know, 48 seconds. Now, and then I'd look around and I realize I'm the only person in the studio. <laughs> like, there's three or four other people that can do this when we go live, right? Where? Because they're all radio pros. They've done this so long. I mean, they're walking in with three minutes, three seconds already left. Oh, man. Elisa's just the entertainment reporter. She's just kind of still tapping away on her phone. She's walking in. Gary Bryan, he's chatting about some basketball scores and he's still sweet and I'm watching I'm sweating bullets three two what and then the second it's just he's on the mic welcome back and yeah. I was like wow no <laughs> only like six weeks later like, Sam how much time we have it's like we've got uh, 75 seconds oh my god 75 seconds I'm getting coffee I'm, I'm off I'm going to the kitchen <laughs> you suddenly picked up that trait <laughs> I'll be in the car <laughs> yeah exactly so I'm sorry so 40 but 45 seconds yeah, and then the lights come on, and then uh, it tells you, it's got a little uh, number that tells you how many seconds the, you have left. And so you can kind of see where you're at and pace mm-hmm. yourself. Um, <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of pressure. And then they've got a little window. Wait a minute, uh, what song did you do? I did a, an original song that I wrote with uh, Gary Fitch called One Way Ticket, which okay. is actually is cool because it's about traveling. Okay. Although I mentioned Bakersfield in the song. I, I wasn't going to Bakersfield, but I thought, okay, did I'm on the road. so literal, come on. I'm on the road, so let's do that one. And it was the only one that would have fit, you know, time-wise. So okay, so we discussed this earlier, though, right? Sorry to interrupt, but but sometimes it's that that format that technology is going to dictate. Yes, what yes. The, what the song? Yes. What if you were a roaming bluesman and you have notebooks full of songs, mm-hmm. and you finally get a chance? You you scrape up the twenty bucks, yeah, to record something. This is the only recording there's going to be of you for all you know. And the fact is, like, well, you know, you got you've got two minutes and how many seconds? It's two two twenty. You have two twenty. So immediately you have to throw away 95% of the stuff you've written. Yeah, yeah. And then not only that, the 5% left over, you've got to do it twice as fast if you want to get right. <laughs> or, or cut out lines. 
Yeah, it was yeah. like it was. It's not my best song, but it's my shortest song, and it's the only one that would have fit. <laughs> maybe there's so a, I did there's it. a whole swath of music though that we have uh, in archives. It's may not be the best material at the time. It was just it was the shortest material at the time. Now here, here okay. So this is something. This is a machine that you may have seen on a, um, Jimmy Fallon show because when Jack White uh, initially launched the, yeah. this this voiceograph booth at his Nashville location, he got to take it on television. And, and showcase it and how it worked. And Neil Young came on along with Jack White to uh, show how this thing works. And so Neil Young actually did a song live and then they played the record that popped out the bottom when it was done. Now, the whole time you're actually playing, you, there's a little window. You can see the, the, the blank piece of clear plastic with the label on it get moved and drop down. And then you see the cutter come down mm-hmm. on it and you're seeing it being etched live. And then when it's done, it plays it back for you. So you can kind of hear what you just did. That's right. In super low fidelity. And then when it's done playing it back, it drops it down the chute like a package of M&Ms in a candy machine. And look, my record. <laughs> How precious are Damn you? Damn it. <laughs> Surprised it was in one piece still. No, but by the way, you, you, no, you, you, there's something specific in your wording there I think is very, very important. Candy. No. Uh, playing, you said it was, it, you hear it played back. Yeah. So that's the difference, for, and any audiophile will tell you this. This is the difference between, say, vinyl or something like that and um, in digital for, uh, listening forms, is that vinyl some, and tape, something is being played to you. A physical thing is being played, and that's what you're hearing mm-hmm. as where a CD or something, that's information that's being read to you. Um, whether it changes your emotional connection to the music i don't know i, I personally i kind of doubt it that's where i sit on the fence but the fact of the matter is it is like an instrument playing sounds but the sounds happen to be you for mm. just a few minutes ago. yeah okay so how'd you do not too bad not too bad and then the playback it sounds like i i went in the delorean and and notched it back to 1947 <laughs> um you know the, the the recordings you know wobbly and and uh, bass heavy and it's instantly on the first play uh-huh. pops and clicks and you know scratches <laughs> and the already, whole thing it's already vintage i mean i would be t- knowing that though i'd be tempted to go in it and specifically write a song or perform a song that mentions all the current technology <laughs> just or just like the the most recent hip hop tune i yeah. can grab that or to cover the latest modern, number 1 <laughs> all modern references no even yeah. because the lyric i want i want to mention game of thrones i want to mention all oh the stuff in the God. zeitgeist you know, I want to mention, you know, Zion being the number one draft choice. I want, all, I want all that stuff. And then, but to hear it in this, it would be creepy to hear those facts coming out in this. So, so well, go ahead. Well, when when do you hit Nashville or Detroit next on the Dwight tour? I believe Nashville is in early September. I believe this could be a challenge. Oh, really? <laughs> it could be. You could knock my record off the charts. So far, it's number one out of one uh, on this show. That's right. Okay. So, I mean, can we, can we hear it? We can hear it. Would you like to hear it? I would like to hear it. 20 (laughs) bucks. All right. Dave is now a label. He's now. Okay. So, um, let it be my pleasure and honor to introduce One Way Ticket by Dave Rayburn as recorded at the Third Man Record Booth in Detroit, Michigan. Here it is. One way ticket, one track, man, one and a dollar. The 
It is pretty wobbly, wasn't it? Scratchy and wobbly. Nice. It's hard to play wobbly. Scratchy and wobbly. Terrible morning show duo back in the 70s. No, um, that was Dave Rayburn. One way ticket recorded at the uh, the third man record booth in Detroit, yep. Michigan. Yep. Um, now, all this discussion of recording technology going back in time. Archives. What is this leading us to? Uh, well, Something that actually happened, what, about 11 years ago, but <laughs> but the detail of this particular story uh, only emerged on a greater level uh, about a week or two back. <clears throat> the great Universal Studios fire of 2008. We, we put great because it's Universal Studios and it just, everything has to be magnificent and universal. So it's the great fire. And plus my reaction upon hearing the story goes, oh, great. <laughs> okay, so let me ask. So, okay, we'll explain. So in, in 2008, some maintenance was being done. And the Universal lot out here in, uh, is it Burbank? Or, no, Universal is City. It's Universal City. It's so yeah. universal, it's got, it, it had, right. took over its own. By the way, aren't all cities universal? Yes. They're in the universe, right? Yeah, as long as they're here. Okay. So, some maintenance was being done. Accident happens. A warehouse catches fire. They put the fire out. And it was assumed that this was colloquially known as some video vault. And... It's on a movie studio lot, so sure. Why wouldn't we believe that? Um, and it's kind of assumed that, well, whatever was in there has already been digitized. There's other copies. Where you, would think. you would yeah. think. You uh, would think. But it turns out that, um, no, it actually, that particular building held, apparently held master recordings of, we don't know how many albums and Recordings and songs. There was a number I saw. There are a few numbers. So <clears throat> what, have, what have you heard? Hey, well, who's on the cover of that? It's Chuck. That's Chuck Berry. Um, June 16th, uh, 2019 issue of the New York Times Magazine has a lengthy article about this. Now, for one thing, it just goes to show that all cover-ups eventually fail. <laughs> <laughs> it just... Um, 
And so the uh, the author of this article, who uh, who did great. Great work. Uh, it's uh, uh, Jody Rosen wrote this article. Now, I, but I already have a little, I, personally, yes. so there's a, been a lot of reaction to this. Mm-hmm. Can you tell, you know, you, I think you're aware of more of the reaction than I am. I think you're a little more plugged into the online forums and, and people we know have been writing about this. Yeah. Uh, initially, when the story came out, I went to, uh, yeah, I saw a link on my Facebook feed and I'll kind of dive in and read and, uh, you know. I don't think I got more than two paragraphs in. Uh, they were just, and it was pretty much just documenting what was possibly lost. Mm-hmm. And I had to stop reading because it was, it was like ultimately depressing to me. Like, I, I don't want to know anymore. I don't, I'm just going to look away. You know, uh-huh. I, I'm going to still believe in Santa Claus, you know? And, uh, and, and then I just started, so I kind of stayed away from the article and then I started seeing all kinds of people reposting this article over and over and a couple of friends sending it directly to me through, uh, you know, texting <laughs> like, just stop. I'm trying to, you know, yeah. keep it out. And, uh, and then about a week later I started seeing new articles being posted, uh, mentioning oh, lawsuits and there's other stuff. It's like, wait, well, there's more to this story. This mm-hmm. I, no, so I, I guess I better dig in a little bit, but the reaction out there was just most people initially were saddened just as I was and shocked. Like a lot of, Masters, uh, including the likes of uh, Chuck Berry, Elton John, Eagles, Nirvana, Tom Petty, and old stuff like Ella Fitzgerald and Bing Crosby. Over what I had read was over 500,000 master recordings. I would imagine those are individual songs, you know, which would, could, could be the, uh, either the multi-tracks of a particular song. Let's say Nirvana's uh, uh, Nevermind album, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, how many songs are on that album? Like what, 10 or 12 songs? Yeah, There's probably some outtakes or whatever. So they've got like multi-tracks, just huge multi-tracks of each of these songs as they were built up. All that stuff stored in the vaults. And then whenever there's a reissue, that stuff's pulled out to right. go directly from the master tapes and, you know, re-EQ things, remix things. The, apparently some of these original recordings are the, the things that were lost. And so, you know, people instantly start going off. I'm like, oh, so that last you know, 180 gram reissue of the remastered Nevermind album. That's the one I need to get because that's the last, last time they'll ever be able to do that. Right. Well, I don't know. I mean, um, was any of this stuff backed up in, in any physical form or a digital form? And then I saw that Eminem came out and said that like his recordings were actually digitally backed up four months prior to this fire. Just you know, happened to be. Yeah. Um, but we don't know. I don't think there's a laundry list yet of what exactly was lost. There's no. just sort of a summary of what probably was in there. That's right. So there's a lot. Here's my. I'm sorry, but I, so we look at the cover of this art, the, the cover of this issue of the magazine, and it's a picture of, of Chuck Berry uh, still playing his ES125. In fact, he's not moved to the 335. So it's a very early Chuck provisionally, and then they they treat the image with like as if it's being slowly burned up. Yeah, that hurts like to just look at fire. that from here. And then you open to the uh, article, and then there's a picture of Tom Petty on stage, I think at the Whiskey, and uh, yeah. in the late 70s. And, of course, they've got this image. looks like it's also being it's burning. Like burnt film. And yeah. then there's a picture of Billie Holiday singing, her eyes closed, agonized look on her face, and it, they make it look like this is burning up. So hyperbole starts here. Yeah. As if Billie herself was burned was in this fire. Sure. Like Tom and Chuck... <laughs> They didn't burn the... Okay. Just, the, the artists they're already did not passed burn away. They checked, by the way, they used three artists that have already passed away. Were they all three cremated? They have now, if you <laughs> believe this article. So I circled some passages yeah. as I'm reading this. 
Um, I, and I just, there's certain terms that come out a lot. I circled the word might have been destroyed. House some of UMG's most prized material. Uh, put the number of assets destroyed at, then there's various figures on the six figures, but they don't say if that's, like I said, I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's impossible to itemize precisely that word. Uh, a sweeping cross section of popular music history. Okay. Um, most likely lost in total. The fire most likely claimed. Um, also very likely lost were master tapes of the first. So it's a lot of, we, it's this article is a lot about what we don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, also, so I'm not saying that this isn't a bad thing, but the fact of the matter is, let's just take the examples of Chuck, Tom, and Billy. Mm-hmm. You you can stop reading the article two paragraphs in because your phrase is going to depress you. And guess what you can do to solve that? You can go listen to Chuck Berry, Tom, or Billy. We have what we have. It's not like you'll never hear these tunes again right. now. So, <clears throat> so there's that. Now there's the thing was, yeah, but they'll never reissue this. I know. How, how many times do you want to buy Chuck Berry's catalog? Okay. So now I've already taken away that. Now just hear me out. How much more music are you going to hear on this one spin on this planet? And I understand there've been things, been reissues like, well, yeah, well, here's some outtakes. Mm-hmm. And so let's say a lot of outtakes of our favorite albums or albums we've never even heard. Yeah. We'll just never get to hear those now. That's right. You weren't supposed to. The artist had made a decision to not have those on the album in the first place. So we're not entitled, by the way, to hear the, anyone's outtakes. We're not entitled to see what didn't make it in our favorite movies. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so also, who owned these masters? Now, that's the only thing that really, really kind of matters in the, in the practical world to me because if Universal owned them, they were theirs to destroy. Not on purpose, hmm. but if they were housing them for the artists that own their masters, hmm. well, now that's an insurance issue. There's going to have to be a monetary reparation for Oh, yeah. Because you didn't, you didn't manage the stuff properly. Hmm. Um, yeah, look, you know, yeah, there's a bunch of music lost there or a form of it. It's funny, early you mentioned lo-fi, right? I've always been, I've always wondered about our use of hi-fi and lo-fi. Fi is short for, for fidelity, mm-hmm. yep. but Latin for truth. And it's funny because we would call Asia by Steely Dan a hi-fi recording, right? It's because it's so sonically clear and mm-hmm. it's just, but I don't know that that's the most honest representation, the most truthful representation as to what happened in that studio, because there's so much EQ work you can do. You can space things differently than how they happen in the room. I would say, actually, this that I hold my hand, this disc that you made in Detroit in that voice-o-matic, what's it called? Uh, Voice-o-graph. The voice-o-graph. This is actually as high fidelity as it gets for that moment. Sure. Right? There's really no manipulation of it because of the limitations of the the technology make it wobbly and scratchy and all that. But this is pretty much what Dave Rayburn sound like on that day. Um, so we won't get more reissue, uh, reissues. We won't you know, get resold universals catalog that they've acquired from all these other labels. Yeah. So that's also part of this story is how universal is literally becoming 
universal. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know this. I'm still, I just can't get myself fired up about this fire. I just can't. Wow. That and, was intentional. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, not the fire, but your wording of fired up. Wording, oh yeah. I, yeah. I don't think it was arson. I think it really <laughs> was an accident that happened some, some time ago. I remember I was at K earth. I remember watching the footage. I remember walking yeah. into the, and I was like, Oh wow. And yeah, I just, I, I don't know. Even then I just, I didn't, is this the greatest tragedy to happen in? I, I, I mean, that's one of the things they say in the article that I, that was another phrase that I, I circled, you know, um, yeah. It's bad. I think people are, are people more upset that it was that Universal tried to clearly try to cover this thing up. Because it says it was the biggest disaster in the history of the music business. Now they clearly didn't see that Sgt. Pepper movie made in the late seventies with the Bee Gees and Peter Frampton. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. Again, my point well, is, let's just keep making music, everybody. This is all rearview mirror. This is all rearview mirror. Yeah. yeah. But are we discussing art? Are we discussing commerce? Are we talking about our personal memories because we were born? Yeah, in Yeah, it, it encompasses all of that. And and one thing I saw was uh, you know as far as the the commerce is concerned, I mean, there's a lot of artists that are in the process of getting back their masters and being or, able to do something with them. So like if there were yeah. if there were complete sessions for you know four, five, six albums by a particular band and the members of that band at this point negotiate to get those masters back and then they want to reissue them and. and remix or, or put out unreleased track. I think Tom Petty was getting a bunch of his stuff back over the God years. Knows, man. He had such a complicated so history with that artists stuff. like that are now suddenly wondering, you know, that was my potential to do a little something on the back end of it my was, career. It was also, I mean, just philosophically, yes, and you were also fortunate enough to be an artist at a time when artists got paid at all right. for making it's a total, on yeah, that level. Yeah. Owning masters, like that's, talk about cherry on top of the cake, right, man. Right. So, I don't know. I'm just kind of like, yeah, and easy for me to say. Besides, it's mostly None publishing of, these days. Nothing. Anyway, right? I don't have a vested, literally, personally vested. I mean, I didn't lose any money in this yeah. thing. So maybe it's easy for me to say. But I just, I just want everyone to just calm down. You'll still be able to hear tunes. You'll, you'll be hearing all these tunes. You've been hearing them since yeah. 2008. We can document that. No, I came in on time, but I mean, uh, I must have threw him off, I guess, if I stopped. Yeah, here we go. Take uh, seven on Real Monroe. Right. You don't believe it, we can play it back. We can play it back. I'll bet you $5 game. I'm on time. Okay. Play it back. It's a $5 bet. K-Earth's been playing them. We, there are somebody on the spot. Now, it, this is why I held off on Spotify. I guess I still have held off on Spotify. When it was first came out, I would, I was like, okay, I dial it up and I want to listen to this. And then I'd want to hear some Everly Brothers tune. And it's clearly a re-record from the seventies. Like, mm, it's yeah. like, I'm not, this isn't what I wanted to hear. So I just kind of went back to the vinyl I had of the Everly Physical, Brothers. Yeah. Um, makes a good case maybe for, Hey, everybody just go ahead and buy, go ahead and buy your tunes. Mm-hmm. Tunes. Yeah, that's and it's with Spotify, you don't know what just as with Netflix too, you don't know what's going to come off at some point. You know, they're adding Check. new things and sometimes I, things is, fall out of contract. This is gonna sound hysterical on my part. Well, I shouldn't say hysterical, so I, I hate that word. Um so sound silly on my part. But you know, when when we buy something on iTunes and we mm. click the little agreement thing, mm. I didn't I'm not buying anything. Right. They're licensing that music to me. They mm. have the right for I could just wake up one morning and all that stuff has gone off my phone. That I 
quote unquote purchased on iTunes. Mm-hmm. I'm leasing it. So maybe I should have bought the CD. That's what I, uh, but it's all moving to this other way. So it's just, uh, you know, but, but instead of being paranoid about all that stuff, I just rather let's just listen to tunes and yeah. more importantly, let's make more tunes. So go online, everybody read it. It's the, uh, like I said, it's the June 9th, June 16th issue of the New York times magazine. The article is called the day the music burned by Jody Rosen, um, who did do due diligence and really good investigative journalistic work, mm-hmm. by the way, I don't want to, I don't want to discredit, uh, Jody Rosen's work, but I'm just kind of saying this, this, this article is a lot of speculation. Mm-hmm. Certainly something burned in that fire. Well, yeah. And certainly people are starting to big time managers starting to ask, Hey man, where are the masters of this? My artist is wondering, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> the phone's but, ringing, the phone's ringing and there's going to be <clears throat> tons of lawyers sure. have been all over this for a long time and they will continue to be so. Um, so go out and see your favorite artist live. So with that in mind, yeah. let's play a tune. And here's something made out in the, uh, the, in the wild parts of East L.A. As we look out, the, look out to your right. Yeah. All right. Oh, it's over gorgeous. there. This is a song on Coal Mine Records by The Sincere's. This is It Was Only a Dream. was the sincere's with it was only a dream on coal mine records that's a vinyl seven inch um coal pretty, mine and what's that pretty creepy oh yeah yeah <laughs> a 2019 release 
odd. They made it sound like it was done way back in the day. Yeah. But of course, that's not twist, 1947, though. Not, it would have no, pops and clicks later, and stuff. A little later than that. <laughs> but it's kind of like kind of the flamingos. I only have eyes for you. These kind of yes, weird heart, but yes. then things are not in tune. In, they're not in pitch. Um, it, it's it's it. It reminds me of that opening sequence of Blue Velvet, where everything is supposed to be peachy keen, but like I said, there's mm-hmm. there's an ear on that lawn. Yeah. I've, I've mentioned that before. This particular song we just played was featured on a box set that came out on Record Store Day this year, uh, called Soul Slabs mm-hmm. Volume Two. <laughs> That's good. Nice creepy title. You're right to yeah. go along with it, and it's just basically collecting all the A and B sides of these seven inches that they've been putting out, kind of sweeping the U.S. Hey, again. I just thought of something, Dave. New drinking game for Jukebox graduate <laughs> listeners. You have to take a shot every time I interrupt you. Or, or we just make that the next episode where we actually take drinks ourselves. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then we name the episode at the a, end. You have not tasted my coffee, have you? Oh, oh are yeah. you cheating? No, no. I still got to drive home. So. <laughs> so, yeah, the Sincere's. Check them out and check out everything on Coal Mine. Yeah, Coal Mine Records. Please, please check them out. I think they have a Spotify playlist, do they not? They do, they do. It, I'll put. I'll mention a coal mine. I'll put it later on the "What are you listening to?" later yes, thing, yes. and then that way it'll get on our playlist. Sure. Um, all right. So I'm. <laughs> there's a, a text that you and I had going there okay. a, a few days which, ago. Which one am I going to regret? Regarding here? the um, recent movie on Netflix, directed yeah. by Martin Scorsese, pertaining to the Rolling Thunder Review tour of 1975. Yes. Right. All right. So. You, you know, you t- I, I wanted to watch it because I knew we'd discuss it or, you know, on, on this on this episode. And um, and so I'm watching it and we're t- texting back and forth about it. And <laughs> and you say Uh-oh. there's this scene that just kills you. Yeah. Between Joan Baez and Bob Dylan. Yes. They're standing at a, a small bar. It's, they're by themselves. It's almost, you know, and they're having this very, very personal conversation mm-hmm. about how their affair ended. I don't. Jack Kerouac uh, writes like ticker tape. I used to see you write like ticker tape. I used to feed you salad and red wine while you wrote like ticker tape. Yeah, I remember. The Brilliant stuff. William Zanzinger. Overlooking the, the Pacific, the wild Pacific Ocean and Big Sur, right? William Zanzinger. Where was that written? Patty Carroll, one of the best songs I think you ever wrote. I think it's one of the best songs you sing. Thank you. How come you take it on the stage now? Because you won't sing it? <laughs> oh, Bob. Sure I will. Just because I screwed up the words. Well, it really, like it really de- displeases me that you, that you went off and got married and... and uh... You went off and got married first and didn't tell me. Yeah, but... Uh, but uh, uh... You should have told me or something. But I married the woman I loved. I know that's true. That's true. And I married the man I thought I loved. See, that's what thought has to do with it. Thought will fuck you up. You're right. I agree with that. See, it's heart. It's not, it's not head. So, and, and you're telling me like it's just killing you. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, it is, it is fascinating, this, this frank conversation. And then I, I ask you... <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, I just have you seen Ronaldo and Clara, which is like that four hour movie that Dylan and Sam Shepard kind of put together mm. based on footage that was done d- during this tour. Sure. 
And you said you've only seen a few random scenes. Yeah. And I explained, well, it's a kind of a jumble of stage conversations and moments like that. And, and Sarah, his wife at the time, is also in Renault. It's very confusing. Yeah. She's in the film. She's not in this scene. She's not. This scene is just Joan and Bob face to face. So I said, it's all so obtuse. It makes me not quite trust even this scene that we've just seen with Joan and Bob. Even though, by the way, I think everything that Joan and Bob are saying in that conversation is absolutely true. Yeah. I think it's absolutely true. So you're feeling like Scorsese's played you for a fool. Da da da. Now, everyone's been using the word documentary about. Rolling Thunder Review, a Bob Dylan story by Martin Scorsese. That's the official title. That's, yeah. And, you know, that's, I was going to bring that up. I've got that in my notes here. That's essentially, I should have known from just that. <laughs> or if you a read. A Bob Dylan story by Martin Scorsese. When you read below 2019 TVMA, it's two hours, 22 minutes, in an alchemic mix of fact and fantasy, Martin Scorsese looks back at Bob Dylan's 1975 Rolling Thunder Review Tour and a country ripe for reinvention. So I should have also known something else was up at the beginning when Dylan's being interviewed modern day and he's trying to explain what this whole rolling thunder thing is. And he sort of fumbles on himself and says, uh, you know, I don't even know what it was. I can't remember anything from then. That was so long ago, 40, whatever, 40 something years. I'm like, that's where it becomes the Martin Scorsese version of a Bob Dylan story because Bob's not able to give any information. So Marty's like, let me just take some of these outtakes from uh, Ronaldo and Clara and, and I'll take the real you know, footage from the tour and the real backstage stuff and I'll just tell a story. And, and then you, know, you get to the end credits and then you see how everyone's you know, so-and-so as the so-and-so. Queen, the Queen of Swords. Right. I mean, it's like Scarlet Rivera is the queen of swords, I think. And, and it was like, oh, okay. oh, so they're just being poetic with, because if it's a documentary, everyone's themselves. So Scarlet Rivera is Scarlet Rivera. There's yeah. no, there, so I think, okay, so, <clears throat> but Webster's defines documentary noun, a presentation such as a film or novel expressing or dealing with factual events, a documentary presentation. This is an expression of factual events mm-hmm. at best but i'm watching it now here's the part that okay this is the part where it gets embarrassing for me because oh bring it well okay let me tell you, <laughs> did i ever tell you about the time i saw the movie the movie borat when no, i saw it in the theaters no. okay phenomenal event but it's, it's like going to see borat in the theater that first time was it was a moment right yeah i've never been a theater that laughed that hard people and i they literally were falling out of their, their, their chairs. Just people couldn't stay seated. People were standing up. They were laughing so hard. They couldn't physically control themselves. It was that good. Now, so the whole thing about Borat is I paid a ticket. I'm sitting down and I'm already smug as hell because I know that Borat is a fictional character being played by this British man named Sasha Baron Cohen. Mm-hmm. And he's going to prank all these people across America. And he's pretending to be this journalist from... Western part of Russian and he's going to do these humiliating things and embarrass them and blah, blah, blah. And I'm going to watch the hilarity ensue, right? Mm -hmm. It's candid camera, but I'm in on the joke and then I'm laughing my ass. Oh, it's just great. Towards about three fourths towards the end of the movie, he's in Georgia. He procures a prostitute, um, significantly enough, an African American prostitute and takes her out on a date and they go to a, uh, a cowboy bar. And, and you just like, oh, my God, this is going to be good. Oh, what are they going to get into? Oh, what's going to happen? Sorry, I think I overloaded the mic there. So, <laughs> so 
they pull up to the cowboy, the country western bar, and I I I can't help but notice they're they they're at the uh, the branding iron in San Bernardino, California. Huh? They walk inside. It's the branding iron in San Bernardino, California. I've played this place countless nights. That's not Georgia. But nobody else in the theaters realizing that because they likely have not played there many times. Yeah. <laughs> so now I don't feel like an expert on anything because I happen uh, to notice this. I actually feel like the biggest rube in the room because now I don't know how much of the last hour and 20 minutes yeah. I can now trust. Okay. It's a, it's it's just a quirk that it's, I happen to know that part. Now anybody, yeah, that's so. Yeah, would that's go to the branding iron night after night in San Bernardino, went and saw Borat. They all they must have realized it's the joke's on me. That's a real interesting way to discover it yourself. <laughs> Otherwise, you would not have discovered it. No, no, no. So I'm a Dylan fan, but I by no means know everything. Okay. Bob Dylan. Right. There is so much, almost too much to know. <laughs> And so I, I try to take in what I can. And th- this particular period of Dylan. Is, I, I want to say spoiler we should, that we should put spoiler alert when this episode comes out. Oh, but, but frankly, no, Sorry. No, 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 my point is no, no. If when you dial it up on Netflix, just read the. I didn't. I can't read. Oh, I told you. You can't read. <laughs> <laughs> so this period of Dylan, I'm, I'm not intimately familiar with. Sure. I obviously know that this is the blood on the tracks sort of. Desire era. tour, yeah. yeah, you know, and and you know, tangled up in blue and all that. And I've seen some of the face paint footage mm-hmm. and everything. So, and I I was aware of Ronaldo and Claire the film, but I've only seen a couple little music clips. Oh, it's not not the. Uh, it's impossible to see. I mean, it's not. Uh, I PBS ran it twice when I was a kid. No and kidding. I'm, yeah, and I'm such a painful. I didn't think idiot it ever aired. Actually, I taped it. I had a VHS. Oh, wow. That's the only reason. But I watched it twice and I never saw it. It was, this is worthless. I think it was in theaters for like two weeks oh, and yeah, it got it panned. Was, and then, you know, right, it was like almost right, four so, hours or something. Yeah. But so this period, I, I just wasn't intimate with. I, in fact, I didn't even know everybody that was in this phenomenal band. Sure. Right. So this, I thought Scorsese is going to bring me a nice looking documentary. That's going to like educate me along the way. Meanwhile, I'm singing Everybody Plays the Fool after I like I'm texting with you because I'm suddenly realizing that 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 heart wrenching scene, that exchange between Bob and Joan. I didn't want to tell you until I'm like, but I know they they had a relationship and they broke up and it was like and they're back together on tour and and they're face to face and I'm flying the wall. And this is she's it's almost a beautiful moment. Then Bob shoots her down, you know, like, oh, my God. And then to find out it's an outtake from this uh, improv uh, movie that they're filming while they're on tour. Right. I'm like, okay, this is a Martin Scorsese version of a Bob Dylan story because Bob couldn't remember, you know, anything about this to give more info. So, well, okay, it's, so it's 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 a it's like Spinal Tap. So here's here's where my <laughs> again the embarrassing part. Much like that, you don't have to moment. do that again. I've I've covered that. I'm <laughs> watching this movie and this director guy. This Martin, no Marty DeBergen, something yes, <laughs> kinda this this something Van Dorp, and he's the oh, guy yeah. who I was brought into the thing. And and I and and I've read a yeah. lot of Dylan biographies, and I've been to, and I, I just remember thought that one. I remember this guy. I don't remember this name. Right. I don't, this is interesting. And then, but modern day Dylan is talking about him being there and all that. You know, he kind of is making enemies along you know the way. What? He's eating all it the. It reminds me a little da, da, da. bit of that Bruce Willis. Uh, documentary on Bruno? his uh, on the return of Bruno or whatever. There was a documentary on that. I know, I know, I know. And all these guys are talking about the legend of this guy Bruno, but they're right. like as themselves, of course. Yeah. So 
I'm such a showbiz nerd. I'm looking at this guy. I'm thinking, isn't this Bette Midler's husband? Because you see Bette Midler in 1975. She's at one of those New York parties where Dylan's kind of getting the idea. Mm -hmm. So she's in my head and I'm looking at this guy thinking, God, I I that's where they met. Just saw (laughs) you start to do that. So but I don't remember this. And her husband was like a comedic actor, kind of a pranky, kind of like a Tom Greenish before Tom Green kind of. And then Sharon Stone shows up and I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. Her first acting gig was in um, Stardust uh, Memories, Woody Allen. She's Mm -hmm. a girl on the train at the very beginning. Yeah. Well, that movie was another Woody that Allen movie wasn't until nineteen. I mean, I don't know a lot. I don't know a lot about Sharon Stone, but I've read a lot of stuff on Dylan and about this. I don't remember that name. Well, there's a picture of there's a picture of her there with the Kiss T-shirt. She's standing yeah, next to that, Dylan. That's <laughs> but and and so and then eventually I'm watching thinking, oh no, this whole thing's a this is a gag. This okay. So <laughs> the cur- do you know who the current CEO of Paramount Pictures is? Uh, I'm last name Janopoulos. Okay. He's in this movie. Yeah. He, he pretends to be the guy who's okay. convincing, I, but he's himself. Okay. I, I read the business trades. That's the thing. Wait a minute. That's I've seen that guy's picture. And so it just goes on. And, and then, uh, and then the, the, the really gets great because <laughs> um, they just kind of, I think they just go ballistic with the gag with the, <laughs> With representative, uh, God, what's his name? What do they call him? Um, oh, uh, Jack Tanner. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Michael Murphy. Yeah, that's right. The, right. He's an act- he was, actor who was in Manhattan he's by Woody Allen ton, as well. He's in tons of movies. That's actually the first moment where I started to think something was up because, like, <laughs> hey, that's the guy that was. <laughs> but by the way, in, in the late '80s, Robert Altman did a, a doc, a Tanner, mockumentary yeah. called Tanner yeah. of this. Okay, of this politician on the campaign trail. I'm thinking, oh my God, he's repricing the character from the thing. And you didn't know Jimmy Carter from... So this whole thing is just this... Now, what I think part of the comment that Scorsese and Dylan are making, I know a lot of people, one person I'm thinking of in particular, who's just who doesn't really watch feature films anymore. He just watches documentaries on Netflix and Amazon. Mm-hmm. He just watches documentaries. Because he just feels like... He's just bored with movies. He can see where they're going. They all resolve the same. I get it. I understand that. Mm-hmm. That's fine. And so he watches documentaries. And I think what we what we do what we do is we watch a documentary. We pick a subject that we knew nothing about, or maybe we heard a little bit about, and we come out of it and we think we know practically everything about it. Now. That's what I was hoping for. Yeah, it's a great watch. Oh, it is. By the way, the, the now we're getting away from the whole fact that there's some right. wonderful music and performances. Here. I really appreciate that for the most part, you see the live songs being performed from beginning to yeah, end. I love that they don't cut away from it. I know it makes the movie long. And by the way, as a, as a, as an, I, the last thing I'd seen on Netflix was a foreign film. So I had the, the, uh, the subtitle, I had the English, I had the, Oh, you left that, that, that setting scene, on. Yeah. I kind of recommend that. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Only because when they, it's not like a modern Dylan show. I, I still don't know all the words to hurricane. Cause they okay. go by so There's fast, so many. but you can read them. Well, yeah. you can't, you but can, one can, right. yeah, he can't read. Mm-hmm. So, um, thankfully there's motion picture involved. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and I always, you know, the makeup thing that Dylan was doing, it's all about this 
this old movie called children of paradise from like 1945. And it's, it's this, this couple and they fall in and out of love. They get attached to people. They come back to each other, blah, blah. And one of the, and one of the characters, he's a mime. Mm -hmm. And so I think Dylan was seeing himself and Sarah and possibly Joan as these, and so he's just, he's just obsessed with this movie. And that, and so he just puts on this makeup and doesn't explain why. And that's how you create legend. Um, what's, what's really great was in this day and age of fake news and all that sort of stuff where mm -hmm. we don't know how to trust what information it's one of those things where, um, well, I know that's not true. So is everything that I'm seeing here? Not true. It's the Borat moment. Yeah. And it puts you on shaky ground. Um, which is just kind of a very fun thing. I think that Scorsese and, and Dylan are doing definitely here. having fun with it. They're having fun. With but it. I, now what about future generations that, um, you know, discover Bob Dylan you know, they hear something on, let's say, radio still around in the future or uh -huh. whatever. You know, they, they hear Dylan. They want to, like, research more, and they start finding these these films. And, but by the way, just a little side note I wanted to mention. Pitchfork had an article titled The Eight Best Bob Dylan Documentaries. And I'm like, there's, eight. Are there, are there, there's, a, there's a lot out there. Can <laughs> I name them? But that's what but this one's already better than Eat the Document because Eat the Document, you never saw one, one song played in its entirely. Dylan kept coming, yeah, coming right. away from it, and it broke that up. And, um but even eat the document with look at the look at the title. Dylan didn't intend to make a documentary about that that nineteen sixty six tour with the band where they were getting booed all across Europe and right, England. Right. Um, uh, Dylan once said, "Definition destroys." So I, he's not interested in time capsules and any accurate thing. But there's moments again. <laughs> you miss the fact that they go to Gordon Lightfoot's house. And yeah, I, I watched party. it again after so we good. talked about it. And he's just totally Joni. in the background. I think I was so fixated on, on Joni. Yeah. How can you, Joni, Joni playing Coyote, this right. song that she's just written, just she wrote it to, McGu to McGuinn and Dylan. It's great because they're trying to like play along, play along, yeah, because <laughs> she's in the open tuning and she's, yeah. just, <laughs> I think what I walk away here, women win this movie between Scarlett, Joan and Joni in particular. Mm -hmm. They are absolutely the most compelling things going on here. I, I just, I, I really, I think they really, really walk away with this thing for me. That yes, I definitely agree with you there. And that you know, even though that scene was an outtake, I still love that exchange between Bob and and Joan. But there's another scene. I don't know if it's you're... a beautiful scene. Yeah, oh, it yeah. should kill you. By the way, just don't. <laughs> yeah, well, now I know, but it's like, I, but I think yeah, as you said, you know, there's truth to a lot of what was exchanged there because of their actual history. As our man Springsteen has said recently, that's what artists do. We lie in order to tell yeah. a greater truth. Yeah, Richard Pryor being. Probably maybe the greatest example. But I don't know if you recall <laughs> this humanity. this other scene. It's just it's pretty much just a, a visual thing. But this is the other scene that really got me. Mm -hmm. This one I don't think is embarrassing to share because I think I think it's real. Mm. Um, there's a scene where the show finishes. Yeah. Cameras on the crowd. Yeah. The it's an arena shot down from like front row or something. House lights come up. Yeah. And an announcement. You know, thank you for coming. Whatever. And then. There's the camera stays on this one girl that's just, you know, hands on her, sure. on her cheeks. And she's like, oh, it looks like mm -hmm. she's just about to say, oh, my God, that was so great. And yeah. her hands slipped down off of her face. And then she kind of giggles a little bit. And then it turns into just a crying face. <laughs> she is so emotional. There's a lot going on. Yeah. And there's other people around her that are just laughing, having a good time. Oh, that was so great. But this girl was so wrapped up in the show. Reminds me of uh, which Woody Allen movie was that where uh, there was a Dylan reference about he was 
Transcendent or whatever. Oh, in Shelley Hall. Duvall. Shelley Duvall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But so it, it wasn't it, a Dylan. It was like they went to see some sort of so yogi, like a Maharishi. No, there of. was a Dylan. Uh, she referenced uh, oh, she seeing did. Dylan. Oh, that's right. When yeah. she sang just like a woman. And, or he sang, and I always yeah, okay, kept that right. in the back of my mind. And so it's like here I'm seeing an actual reaction from the tail end of a show mm-hmm. from the front row and how different people are reacting differently. But this girl is just like so emotional, so invested. <laughs> and that was, I, I have, I think that was real. Unless you're telling me now that's no, an outtake. Not, no, I don't know. I'm not, I'm, <laughs> okay, everybody, improvise emotions. We're going to put the was, lights on. That Meryl Streep is a mother. I'm telling you, she can do anything. <laughs> but but uh, there's also, there's all, my actually maybe one of my favorite moments though, because I felt this is a bit of a 21st century commentary on the thing. People are, people that were on the tour are modern day. They're saying, well, talk about Allen Ginsberg. Um, dude, he's like a father figure that you know, he was like a father figure and he does anything and they use this father figure and then they cut to present day Dylan. No, no, no. Alan was not a father figure. No, no, <laughs> right. not a father figure. Very. And then Scorsese decides to cut to current day David Mansfield, mm-hmm. who was maybe who was 19 years old at the time of the tour, a musician on the tour. And David says, and he looks beautiful now. And he just says, I was a kind of a really pretty teenage musician kind of out there on the road. And Alan yeah liked talented teenage straight boys and that was it was was like dylan as a father and grand and grandfather was like as not a father figure right (laughs) and i understand again that was a certain truth it's unfair to alan alan's not here to defend himself but you know uh i think i don't know some some of the jazz greats it says something like the genius is the one that is most himself at all times and so Ginsburg and Dylan, they kind of fit this mold. I mean, they really are unapologetically going to do whatever they're going to do. Um, doesn't mean we excuse bad behavior. We get into that. Well, we we had that on the Ryan Adams episode. Yeah, we kind yeah. of had all these things. So I don't know. It's just uh, it was. It's a it's an entertaining watch. I'm just telling you, y'all. Just it it's is. not a doc, it's not a Scorsese documentary. Get that word. I don't. I don't know why. I just let's not use this word. You know, it's it's not a documentary. Yeah. Um, all right. It so, is entertaining and I'm going to watch it again. And it looks beautiful. The songs are, and cause that's not really my favorite live Dylan versions. A lot of that stuff. Not that the band, the band's great. Ronson is a God, the Jesus. guy. And he does that. He does that thing. He does that thing on his guitar. I, I don't know which song he's playing a solo and he does that wiggly thing on his yes, last Paul that yeah, we hear at the yeah. end of five years. It still scares the hell out of me and yeah. I can't sleep when I hear it. Um, <laughs> So, so it's, it's magnificent, but I just thought it was kind of weird. It's like, wow, really don't talk to T-Bone Burnett. He was there the whole time. Where's T-Bone? Yeah. That's kind of, cause he probably would have like exposed like, Hey, no, that Michael Murphy, that's an actor. You know, <laughs> he probably didn't want to buy into all that, but you know what? Yeah. So like, I wasn't familiar with this band entirely. So to see, uh, it took me a little while to figure out that was McGuinn. Because I really didn't have much of a visual or anything else on McGuinn post, post like bird seventies, right? Yeah, yeah. So and he just looked like freaking mad dog. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. A lot of chemicals running around that time. Listen, um, that's enough of us yapping. Let's get to it. Right here. You know, although, but it's another truth about that about the Rolling Thunder review that, that tour. The idea was it was like a snowball, and it just picked up mm-hmm. characters and people as it went along. Um, so uh, here's a we've got a track. From Jeff Blankenhorn, uh, that I think kind of fits the spirit of 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 that tour in, in a way. Uh, Dave, why don't you throw that record? The Traveling Troubadour. This is Jeff Blankenhorn with this guitar. I 
This guitar has been a ramp It's traveled hard, gone town to town It's seen some hard times, it's seen some light It's told the truth, fought the good fight This guitar don't belong to me It's for all to hear and see I'd never claim to be the star When I owe it all to this guitar When a melody moves you You want to sing along This guitar brings you in Nothing's wrong To make the night shine brighter Tear the clouds from the moon This guitar can be your guideline And get you home soon This guitar by Jeff Plankenhorn from his 2018 album Sleeping Dogs on Spike Steel Records. Uh, the album also features uh, guest spots by Ray Wiley Hubbard and Patty Griffin, just so you might want to check out that album. Uh, Jeff's an Austin-based uh, guitarist and songwriter who spent a number of years uh, touring with, uh, with Bob Schneider's band, but now he's out on his own, so uh, please check him out. And uh, we got one last segment coming up here, Gene, and this is uh, kind of to do with uh, what we're listening to now. In a way, yeah, it's funny. I've if been, you have the time, I've been I've been doing this kind of deep dive of of Radiohead stuff, particularly the OK Computer record, for the past few weeks. Um, and I, more specifically, I get into the rabbit hole of of YouTube footage of them performing that material live. Um, and uh, so it's just that album had been in my brain lately, and then you sent a text, something about the Radiohead hack, and I and I thought I don't I'm just really lost because that could. That could for somebody who reads a lot, uh, you know, (laughs) so, so you, so explain to our listeners, I mean, this is, it's an official release now, but explain to me the history of what happened. I'll I'll give you as much as I know. Um, recently, um, 
I guess the this must have been Tom York's personal archive, or I, I, I'm not sure exactly who's you know where the stash was, but um, back when Radiohead was making OK Computer, what year was that? Would you say uh, is that ninety five, ninety six, mid 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 to late nineties, right? Yeah. So back then, that was when um, certain formats existed, uh, music formats. You had uh, vinyl was pretty much on its way out for the first time then. You still, uh, I think cassettes were still around, CDs were around, but then you started seeing things like DAT tapes and, oh, yeah. um, and mini discs, which mm-hmm. you, were little CDs that you could record on that roughly contained about an hour's worth of space that you could uh, record digitally. So what Radiohead was doing at the time, uh, they were actually using mini discs to record uh, and, and document uh, everything they were working on as to not lose ideas mm-hmm. or anything else. What if for posterity? Which, by the way, it's the, I mean, it's really kind of because now I know a lot of songwriters and artists. Mm-hmm. A lot of we just we just record on our voice phone. memo thing, sing into it, tap it oh, out. Oh yeah, it's it's now second nature to a lot of artists. <clears throat> I just want to point. I just interrupt yet again. Woohoo! Everybody, take a shot. Take a shot. Um, <laughs> but when you when you interrupt, they have to drink water. Oh uh, come on! <laughs> you know that's not good for you. <laughs> but. Um, but yeah, these guys are really embrace as as Radiohead always is always kind of embracing new technology. Yeah. So it's it, I think it's very interesting that so much of their sketch pads, if you will, yeah, were audio sketch pads mm-hmm. of some sort. I'm sorry, continue. Yeah, so everything was going on to mini discs, and it was great because they were it was portable. Like you said, you know, they were able to take that technology from room to room. Uh, they recorded uh, songs that they were freshly working on at sound checks or just rehearsals in the studio or. Solo acoustic demos at home or conversations Standing on a subway. Standing in a field from the sounds of it, but continue. There's, yeah, there's, there's, there's like a lot of variety. But anyway, they, they captured everything. And so these were all uh, apparently logged onto a, a hard drive for backup storage. Well, this hard drive somewhere was hacked. And uh, 18 mini discs worth of audio from Radiohead. Like I said, everything from solo acoustic demos to full band rehearsals. Outtakes, alternate versions. Each mini disc is about how long in terms of time? I'm going to say a little over an hour each. Wow, about okay. an hour each, like give or take. So, nearly 20 hours of yeah, sound stolen. Okay, and apparently held for ransom. Oh no, kidding! For I think the number that was thrown out there was 150 thousand uh, dollars. I did Doctor Evil <laughs> right <laughs> for 400 dollars. Throw me a freaking bone here. I mean, look, I don't want to shame any blackmailers out there, okay? Because we don't want to have a divisive show. I've always talked to, we don't want to be negative Nancys Mm -hmm. on here. But come on. Well, I think these these thieves probably knew they don't have major label money anymore. Because <laughs> they're I was just thinking. <laughs> it's like, well, let's just make them, it reasonable. Cut them a break. It's a rock band. Let's just. They're see, not making what they used. We kind of know what they may have. Yeah. This may be tempting for them. So anyway, this this or, or else I'm going <laughs> to pay us the money, or I'm going to put it in a warehouse on the Universal. <laughs> oh no. Oh man. <laughs> Wow. Okay. So too soon. So, so this no, was, it was 11 years ago. Good. <laughs> so this was all put up for ransom. And, uh, the way the band reacted was, Oh, Oh no. Yeah. You have our stuff. Well, you know, it seems kind of boring. So why don't we just put it all out? So they, they issued on, I think it's, it's I want to say it's, Kaiser Soje model, right? I, <laughs> I want to say it's through their band camp page and they basically put all 18 mini discs in their entirety 
available to purchase for download, uh, high resolution download too. Right. Uh, I think only available for 18 days. And I think it was for 18 pounds total is what they were offering. Oh, that's for. brilliant. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, as I, so I think what it is, is I think on June 11th, they made it available. Now the, the, the money even tell the folks where the, uh, yeah, they, the they're not to. even taken. I, I, go to, I'm Wait, sure go. they're going to pull in more than $150,000, but, uh, <laughs> The, all the benefits from this, uh, everything that they're pulling in is going to uh, the environmentalist campaign, Extinction Rebellion. Right. So they put it up for, and it's for 18 days. And I believe they put it up on the 11th of June. Uh, that's I believe is what I've about so, right. So we're so, at this point even running out of time. That's right. They're going to pull it at right. some point. So um, uh, I, I believe it. Now, it's funny because I'm going to, I had to do an update on my computer. So I haven't been able to download is it, okay? it yet. Huh? It's, I don't know. Okay, computer. See what you did there? Take a shot. <clears throat> and uh, I, I can't wait to... Now, the funny thing is, I've, I've heard a little bit of this stuff because you shared some of it with me. Yeah. And it's, and, uh, it's going to be both fascinating and wildly boring. It's over... It's, near, it's like 18 hours of stuff. Yeah. So um, there's probably going to be some internet guides out there, some, mm-hmm. some cliff notes. And I, I would say, go ahead and... <laughs> refer to I know I'm going to refer to yeah, those because I want to hear the working stuff of uh, Karma Police and Let Down and I want to hear how they got there because that album has fascinated me from the moment I heard it I know I just kind of thought, oh, who wants to hear outtakes? But then here, I was like, I want to hear these outtakes. Yeah. Now these, I want to hear them. These tracks, there are 18 tracks, one for each mini disc. You have to sift through. Thankfully, the embedded artwork on these digital tracks has the scan of what the mini disc looked like with the handwritten label on the outside. So you can kind of see cool. what's included on each one, but you can't just skip to that track. You have one hour you have to then scan through to find it. Um, and... That'll be a little tedious, but I've, I've just, what I've been doing, I've been playing the entire tracks in the background while I'm working at home sure. and just taking it in as background. And it's just, it's nice. You know, it's easier that way. <laughs> you know, honestly, Jeff Tweedy would have taken all this and condensed it to one hour and released it as a Wilco album if it was like night 2008 or something yeah. like that. Um, this is, uh, so in fact there is uh, the LA times actually did a, a Randall Roberts who writes for that. Right. He did a bit of breakdown. You can find this on um, not really a breakdown, but it, somewhat of a breakdown, kind of like Clip some notes. highlights and some kind of funny things. And he gives you the which disc MD one, 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 the mini disc one eleven, And then kind of the time, like 16 minutes, 40 seconds in, uh, you'll hear the first, you know, you'll hear kind of the chords to exit music for a film and the roughed out version of electioneering. So there's, there's going to be a way to kind of get to the, the prime nuggets, if you will. Yeah. And then there's the other part where, yeah, you just kind of put it on the background and then you, you walk out of your house wildly depressed and isolated <laughs> and overwhelmed by consumerism because that's what that album <laughs> ends now, up doing. Now, this is just this completely is the, the polar opposite of the, uh, the, the universal fire. That we, that's, I mean, here, here's somebody that saved all this music from <laughs> just in case, you know, Tom, listen, in case your house burns down that and you don't have that hard drive backed up. I got you covered out here, so but I'm also going to ask for 150. I, I heard it on the radio that there's an actress that did a kind of a version of this. Someone had hacked. Someone got hold of new, I think, 
private nude pictures of her. Oh, with that big iCloud hack, right? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. But but she just said, oh, really? And then she just released just them on her, her own so, social yeah. media. Just here you go. It's, um, there's it's also, like Frank Zappa beat the boots. Here's a, here's a, yeah. Uh, here's a, or the, uh, or the, um, oh, Echo Park, the lake and the, uh, the, the, uh, the lilies, the lily, you know, the, the mm-hmm. it's, okay. The Japanese lilies, I believe is what they are specifically. And year, some years ago, an algae had, had, had formed there in the lake and it was killing off all the lilies. And every year there's a big festival there. Uh, when the lilies start to bloom, you know, it's a big thing. <clears throat> and there was just no way to save these things. They were just going to go. And it turns out that a guy, a florist somewhere out in the San Fernando Valley had some years ago stolen uh, some pods yeah. from that lake and started to grow his own lilies and selling them. Huh. He came forward and said, I know that was wrong and it was illegal and all. $150,000 in there, you're worse. But I have. Yeah, for $150,000. And so that's why we still have the lilies there in in the Echo Park Lake wow. is because he had he had hacked it wow. and had grown his own vine. And I believe this, uh, well, I think I told the story about like the the vine rot that hit, I think, uh, a certain uh, a vineyard, all the vineyards in France uh, in the late 1700s or early 1800s. Mm. And because I think it was Thomas Jefferson had grafted from there and grown the wine here, they were able to graft that back going oh, wow. to France so we can. So this thing's happened. So, you know, yeah. everybody back up your computers. Yeah. <laughs> in various for hard hard mm. disk, in the cloud, keep it all in you know. multiple places. Offsite time, time machines, y'all. Obviously, by the time this episode comes out, it it will probably probably be too late to purchase these tracks. But you know, if you uh, still want to donate to that charity, uh, Extinction I think that's Rebellion, a great idea. even if someone burns a copy of it for you, just send eighteen bucks. Really? Oh, sorry. <laughs> the fire. So what's what's cool about this is like we we unexpectedly get the OK Computer massive uh, super deluxe edition box set. which we wouldn't have we wouldn't have gotten well well, well, there was hold on but there was a reissue box set it was very expensive and some of the stuff that was on that is on this oh it is there's some there's a yeah there's some crossover so some of these things you'll have heard but (laughs) good luck finding that in over about 18 hours (laughs) 18 hours Uh, so so So, that's that's it that takes us to that's a new release yeah and it's kind of a it's a cool exciting one um what have you been listening to dave well, obviously, uh, the new Springsteen album just came out, and I know we're going to talk about this in probably a side pod. I think because we'll do a side, I'll, yeah, I'll call you, or, or maybe yeah. yeah, we'll we'll do a little side pod in this because we can get our get our Bruce on and get this out of our system one way or another. It'll be like a you know point counterpoint. But uh, I've been listening to that, and uh, not too much else. I, I just uh, there's some new releases that are coming out. Uh, the new rock and tours I need to dive into. Um, are you going to go get that today? Well, you are this close to Amoeba. Now. I think so yeah. because the Rock and Tours are playing Amoeba on this next Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're doing an in-store type thing, and the record's out today. So I may just you know get the get the record and then try to get into that in-store this next week, and I'll report back. Otherwise, I did pick up a uh, a couple uh, books recently that we'll, maybe we'll talk about later. Uh, at least one of them. I got this one by uh, Brian Hyatt called Oh, this is beautiful. Yeah, you brought a copy of this. I was looking, at and and I you know what? I do want this now. Now that I've, I've Thumb nice. through it. It's called Bruce Springsteen: The Stories Behind the Songs by Brian Hyatt, and it kind of goes chronologically through his commercial releases, mm-hmm. each song, and gives you as much information about the song as possible, how it was written, maybe if there are references to, you know, 
Steve Van Zant tells the drummer, "Hey, try like the drum intro from this Motown tune," and so that's yeah. how Badlands starts. That sort of, and I when you told me that the, the, such such a book was coming out, I was. I was skeptical because I another one. Well, not only that, but also so like I don't want to hear these platitudes about. I just don't want to read a book of platitudes about this material. But, but this, this is actually the kind of the what some people might consider the boring nuts and bolts of stuff. These this are is exactly what I these like. These are interviews conducted with individuals that were involved in one aspect or another on each of these songs, and also taken from interviews with Bruce himself. So you get some of Bruce's insights, but as well as. You know, people that played on recordings, people that were doing engineering work in the studio, right. or you know, just people that were inside. For instance, on his second album, yes. Wild, The Innocent and the Street Shuffle, there's a, a great long song called Kitty's Back. I'll read to you because <laughs> you can't read. Gather around, kids. Depending on which story you believe, Springsteen saw the sign either at a strip club somewhere on tour or at a go-go dancing spot called the Sportsman's Club on Route 33 in New Jersey. Either way, it's message welcome to Dancer who had been away. Kitty's back, it said. Kitty's back. Oh, so good. And I, I've barely gotten into this, but man, it's a nice big coffee table book, and uh, I highly recommend it. I think you can even get uh, signed copies by the author at backstreets.com. Cool. Which and, is where I got and, and by the way, kids, if you're into songwriting, this is how it's done. You're driving, you just see a sign at a strip close as Kitty's right. back, and somehow you run with it. Yeah. You know, he talked about, I, know, I don't know if it's in this book, but the song Badlands, I remember that interview he had with Steven Van Zant yeah. for Steven's uh, serious channel. He talked about how it was, uh, I don't have a guitar here now, but he loved the animals, class consciousness, rock and roll, great intros. And that the beginning of don't let me be misunderstood, which I believe they do in B minor. He just yeah. made it B major. <laughs> and like, I, how did of I course. not, you just move from minor third to major third and you've got this anthemic chorus. So, and Springsteen, I think he takes his guitar and shows it to, to Steve and uh, he says, yeah, this is how, this is how you do it. Yeah. <laughs> you don't, you don't end up in court. You just create, new, <laughs> right. you just create new music out of the old. Somebody should have told George Harrison about that. Stop it. Uh, so yeah, this is a fantastic book so far and I can't wait to get through the rest of it. Uh, try to pick that up. Also, I picked up the new Gary U.S. Bonds uh, autobiography called Buy U.S. Bonds. <laughs> but, yeah. And uh, beyond that, one other uh, thing I wanted to mention about, you know, it's kind of st stuff I'm listening to, um, although I haven't cracked the seal on these yet. Recently, Omnivore Records, who handles a lot of the Buck Owens God, catalog. They just taking everything, don't they? Buck Owens catalog, right? They're reissuing a bunch of, you know, the singles, the A's and the B-sides mm -hmm. and all the, the albums. They had it's a... Before the fire. They've got a deal, right? So, Yeah. Or not? So 2008. This, no, this, this okay. is how we solved the warehouse <laughs> exactly. fire. Check this out. Right. Omnivore Records uh -huh. had a deal with the Buck Owens estate, okay. and they found boxed up, factory sealed, vintage Buck Owens albums. About forty different titles, about a hundred copies of each, mm. factory sealed, put away in Buck's private stash. Mm -hmm. They struck a deal with Omnivore Records to make those available for sale for 12 bucks a pop oh, on their site. So good. So I picked up uh, Tiger by the Tail and Together Again, picked those up. So those are like, what, 1965-ish? Mm -hmm. Factory sealed, you know, I think uh, one's a stereo copy, one's a mono copy. Time machine. I don't think I'm opening them up, but I, I started playing my old copies as I held the, those new ones in hand. I'm like, oh, this is great. So uh, there may be some left, so head over to Omnivore Records' website and uh, see if you can grab a little piece of history. That's from if anybody from Universal Music Group, interruption, shot, um, is listening, <laughs> just contact Dave Rayburn. He'll, 
warehouse and preserve all the stuff you guys have. As long as I'm allowed to live at my house. <laughs> yeah, You have to sleep in Bella Lugosi's old trailer on their lot, but their stuff will be... That's uh, funny. What are you listening to? Okay, so uh, the Noisettes, a song called Never Forget You. Totally digging that. Okay. Also, an L.A. group called Local Natives. I think it's a husband and wife duo. Oh, I've heard of them, yeah. When Am I Gonna Lose You? Great track. It's somewhere between... It's it's a song that can work on the dance floor, but you can also just put on headphones and just feel sorry for yourself alone at night. Mm -hmm. It serves both purposes, which is a magical little middle ground for a record. Not a lot of... Sophie B. Hawkins, Damn, I Wish I Was Your Lover. I was thought that kind of straddled those two worlds. Not an easy record to make in these folks. Unfortunately, you know how I I don't hear lyrics well. I have a hard time deciphering what the words are. You need them on the screen. Because I can read. And, um, sorry, Dave, <laughs> um, the pronunciation, uh, the way he's vocal, they're vocalizing it's a, so I read, I read the, and they're great lyrics, by the way, there's this line about just this great evocative image the, the blinds of the window are, are half open. So the sunlight creates these stripes on her body. Just fantastic, mm-hmm. fantastic writing. Um, and also, uh, Three Nights by Dominic Fike. It's just a really fun list. I don't know why. This, I just hear okay. this record. And um, speaking of Coal Mine Records, yeah, band called The Dip. And, and the song is called Sure Don't Miss You. Okay. Um, here's a clip of it. It reminds me of Redbone, <laughs> you know, it's just so good. And, uh, so I want to, and, uh, and, you know, some of these are tips from, uh, from jukebox graduates. Every now we, we somehow get, that's right. We, we, it's a, it's a conversation as they that's say. That's right. Uh, so that's what I've been listening to lately. Um, but, uh, let's hear one more song though. Talk about new artists. Yeah. Uh, here's a guy who <clears throat> pays respect to a vintage sound, that being honky tonk. And occasionally kind of writes, I'd like to hear him write in a little more of a modern voice, but he's getting close to it. Um, and again, this was suggested to me by Jukebox graduate John. This is a song called The Way Country Sounds by Jeremy Pinnell. Sound. 
In the hot, hot sun Will spin your life On the run Will hear your mama Crying cause she's all alone Will hear nobody On the other end of the phone It sounds like this It sounds like that It sounds like the weight of the world On your back It sounds like heaven When you feel low down You live the life I live You would know Sound. And I've had heartache, Lord, I've had pain, and I've had to struggle with the needle in my vein. Jeremy Pinnell from his album, Ohio, Kentucky. It's out now on Sofa Burn Records. Did he listen to any Johnny Paycheck by chance? I don't know. We'll have to get him as a guest and ask him, right? I, I, I'm, I'm hearing a little bit of that in there, you know, and that's people, a good thing. People, that is, so people hear Johnny Paycheck, and at best, they think of Take This Job and Shove It, and no, which no. means they, they don't, they're not aware of this beautiful mm. country crooner material, like a couple of decades, <laughs> frankly. Mm. Um, Paycheck, a, just a beautiful singer. Those are great, great records. So, yeah, it's a big... Uh, and and if you have a chance, check out the uh, episode of Tales from the Tour Bus on Johnny Paycheck <laughs> and learn a little bit more. <laughs> I forgot about him. Yeah, man. that's true. <laughs> There's a reason he ended up looking the way he did. <laughs> Bless him. All right. Uh, all right. So what else is happening? So I think we're about wrapping up. We covered we covered some things. Like We talked about I your, your so. trip to Detroit. We yeah. talked about the uh, Universal Fire. Oh, yeah. Rolling Thunder Review. Oh, God. Movie, <laughs> the Radiohead hack. We heard yeah. some tunes. Um, it was a good day. It was a good day. Uh, and you are going to go off and get the new Rock and Tours record. Uh, you yeah. are going to see them at the in store, or what's uh, your deal? Yes, this coming Wednesday. So by, by the time this episode comes out, Dave, you may have already seen them, and I'll report back. Yes, yes, we'll expect a full yeah. report. Never seen Jack White before. Uh, also, so. by the time this uh, episode airs. I think some videos that I've done for Fender Guitar will uh, be available 
Um, they've got a new line of a new series of guitars coming out. So they asked me to help demonstrate them a little bit. And, uh, so that should be coming out next Tuesday or about the 25th or 26th. I think go to fender.com or just go to fender their Facebook page or YouTube and you should be able to find well, those. We'll share if some you're interested, well. they've come up with some really, really cool guitars and I'm really, really, um, uh, flattered and very uh, fortunate that they were, uh, that they asked me to, to help them in, in any way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, uh, speaking of guitars, I did a, a interview on another podcast called Everyone Loves Guitar. It's been out for maybe a month or so now, but um, if, you're, if you're not already sick of the sound of my voice, I know I am. <laughs> uh, you can listen to that. It's a very per- actually quite a personal interview. Um, that was a lengthy one. Yeah, that we were, you know, you do it by Skype and we... Mm. We had a lot to talk about. We spoke for about 45 minutes before we even started oh, wow. recording. <laughs> and then, honestly, the conversation continued because I had to run and pick up my daughter from school. Yeah. I was on the phone with him for the whole drive. While you were driving? Yeah. Oh, that's great. Uh, there was just, he and I just, we have a lot of common interests. Even the things about, even our disagreements on various things are not, they're not intense. They're just sort of perspectives. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, Anyway, uh, yeah, Greg Farber is his name, and uh, I want to thank him because he was very, very gracious in uh, in uh, in asking me to do it. He was very well organized, mm-hmm. uh, and I hope and I try to spread the word to other guitarists that I noticed that he had not yet spoken to. Yeah, he had spoken to some friends of mine, so that's why. I, and I listened to their. That's what I did. I went back and listened to interviews he had done with people that I know. Okay. Okay. That's a good <laughs> so, way to get the flavor. Yeah, because then I was like, well, I, I know there's, I mean, I, I was there for some of this. And then I was like, oh, that was a very soulful version. Let's of see how, how my goes. buddies are spinning those tales. Kind of. Yeah. And then I was just going to debunk all the stuff. Right. You know, and too bad I wasn't there for that Dylan. Yeah. You'd movie. have some outtakes. All right. Enough of us. Uh, let's <clears> see. Here. So the name of that podcast again, everyone loves guitar. Yeah. Check them out. That was a, a, a very enjoyable episode. Thank you. Pass it around. Thank you. This episode of The Jukebox Graduate was brought to you by Satellite Amplifiers and their new line of Scamp amps. Love it. Yeah, very, very cool. Go check them out at SatelliteAmps.com. Yesterday's technology today. Oh, that's a great it's like line. The Universal too. Fire. Right? Or it's like the hack or something. I feel like we covered <laughs> yesterday's technology today somehow. You at the third minute, something. that it, it, it ties in. Just someone else do the math. We'd also like to thank Jake Turner at VATX Entertainment, as well as Tony Bonata at Pavement PR. And also a big thanks to uh, Jeff Plankenhorn for giving us the idea at the top of the show, as yeah. well as his, uh, his new song. Uh, from his latest release, Sleeping Dogs, it's out now on Spike Steel Records. Please visit www.jeffplankenhorn.com for his latest tour dates and news. Uh, also, check out Jeff's Patreon page. Every month, he sends his patrons one new original song and one cover song. None of these songs have been released prior, so it's a good way for fans to directly support an artist and get new music on a regular basis. Uh, also, thanks to The Sincere's. It Was Only a Dream is available now on a vinyl 7-inch, people. And be sure to check out the James Brown cover on the flip side. Uh, look them up on SoundCloud for a deeper dive into their sound. The Sincere's. Thanks to Jeremy Pinnell. Ohio, Kentucky is out now on Sofa Burn Records. Please visit www.jeremypinnell.com. That's J-E-R-E-M-Y-P-I-N-N-E-L-L.com for more information as well as his latest tour dates. The Jukebox Graduate is available on iTunes, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, Alexa, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Overcast, blah, 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 so many more. Please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you listen. 
Also check out our companion episode playlist on Spotify. There's a link on our homepage, www.thejukeboxgraduate.com. Spread the word like it's a grease fire on a back lot in studio in uh, Universal oh, City. Jesus yeah. H. You won't let it go. Mm-mm. Find us on Facebook, The Jukebox Graduate. Also on Twitter at The Jukebox Graduate. A huge thank you to all of you that listen episode after episode. You know why the thank yous are so long now? Because we're grateful. We're, we're yeah, grateful we are. people. We are. We're grateful people. Yeah. Gratitude people. That's right. The attitude of gratitude. It begins here. You get what you get and you don't get upset. You get what you get, especially if Scorsese's directing it. <laughs> and you just, it's, it's and then you don't know what you're going to get. Nothing is real. You don't know what you Nothing is real. You got a, you got a lyric for us? I do have a All quote. Right. Let's hear it. Last night I dreamed of you, my lover. And the wind blew through the window and blew off the covers of my lonely bed. I woke to something you said that it's better to have loved. Yeah, it's better to have loved. I'm Dave Rayburn. There's no comprehending just how close to the bone and the skin and the eyes and the lips you can get and still feel so alone and still feel related like stations in some relay. I'm Eugene Edwards, and this has been the Jukebox Graduate.